This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, you might remember a couple of years ago, this ice bucket challenge went viral. And I would see it every day on, on my Facebook page. Somebody was dumping a bucket of ice water on their head. Now, I'll admit, I was very cynical about it. Uh, ostensibly, this was about raising awareness and raising money for ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. But to me, it just seemed seemed goofy and gimmicky. Uh, it didn't make sense to me at, at some level. I didn't quite understand the, the connection. Uh, just, I got the sense maybe the people were interested in just getting likes on Facebook than, than making any difference. It seemed like slacktivism, as people call it. So I'll admit I was cynical about it. And as such, I'll admit that maybe I was wrong about it. Maybe it actually did make a difference. Maybe it actually was an effective way to not only raise awareness, but raise money for research into ALS. In fact, researchers at the University of Massachusetts say that the Ice Bucket Challenge made a direct and real impact on a potential ALS uh, breakthrough. Well, joining us to talk more about it, uh, Dr. John Landers joins us, professor of neurology at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Dr. Landers, welcome to the program. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I, I'm here to answer any questions and uh, help you <laughs> reverse Excellent. your views on the ice bucket <laughs> challenge. Well, and, you know, from what I read, I, I, you know, I, maybe my, my cynicism was, was misplaced. But um, before we go any further, talk a bit about this, this breakthrough, because I, I, this is potentially exciting news. Uh, sure. Uh, so what we've, uh, I'll give you the, uh, I guess, the uh, the smaller version first, which is, um, you know, we've identified a, a novel gene, which is called uh, NEC1. And uh, what uh, it has significance on, on, I guess, several different levels, I guess, first of all, this was uh, the largest study of familial ALS uh, that's ever been done before. Uh, so for those of you that are not familiar with all the details of, of ALS, uh, you can actually break down ALS into two different categories. Uh, one we call familial ALS, which means it has a family uh, history. You have another member in your family that has ALS. And the other uh, remaining 90% is actually what's known as sporadic ALS. In other words, you don't have a family member that, that's been affected by by ALS so uh, first of all this was you know the you know largest study for familial ALS and uh, I won't go through all the scientific details but as a result of uh, you know our initial uh, results we identified neck one as a, a potential real ALS gene and uh, after identifying this uh, uh, gene, we actually turned to several, uh, some of our collaborators. Uh, interestingly, uh, one of them was in the, the Netherlands who, uh, you know, we called them up and said, listen, we have this interesting gene called NEC1 that we think is involved in, in uh, ALS. And, and they said, that's uh, 
really uh, interesting because we're actually we ident- identified the same exact gene by a totally a, a different method, and the, uh, the the approach that they took was to actually go to a very small community in the Netherlands, uh, a village that has less than twenty five thousand people in it, and what's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, from a genetics point of view of looking at these small villages is that if you do see people that have the same disease that quite often it's caused by the uh, the same change or same mutation in those people and so by looking at four people that had ALS in that village they were able to identify uh, NEC1 as a, a very strong candidate for uh, ALS. Uh, now from there uh, for any study in genetics, one thing you always like to do is actually validate, uh, replicate your study in, in uh, a much larger population. And as a result of this, we actually turned to a worldwide consortium that we were both part of, which is called Project Mind. And um, this uh, originated out of the Netherlands. And uh, the goal of Project Mind is to actually sequence the entire genome for. Uh, 15,000 people that have ALS and 7,500 people that do not have ALS and actually compare the uh, the genomes uh, of people that have ALS to those that don't and try to find the differences and try to find those needles in the haystack to, that actually indicate uh, what may be contributing to ALS. So. Uh, the project itself uh, consists of about 16 countries right now, and uh, you know both my laboratory and and my collaborator in the Netherlands were both uh, part of this group, and so we're able to just uh, frankly tap into a database that we had, you know, that we've been uh, developing of. Uh, sequences from ALS patients and able to, again, replicate what we saw from NEC1 in a larger group of uh, sporadic ALS patients. So, uh, you know, putting all of that together, you know, what we've been able to do is is, uh, take together bits and pieces uh, from, you know, different lines of investigation and put them all together, and uh, the resulting thing is is this identification of a new gene that uh, confers susceptibility to ALS. All right, so it's about understanding what's what's causing ALS, and I guess from that, then there's the potential for more focused therapies. Yeah, so I think uh, whenever we're, we identify a new gene for for ALS. Um, you know, it, it what it does. You know, in in my point of view, it brings us a little bit closer to understand what is actually going wrong in ALS patients. In in reality, we we don't actually know what's going wrong specifically on on uh, you know the molecular level to figure out what's going wrong. Um, to date, we've probably identified about 15 genes that seem to contribute to ALS. And what's uh, interesting, though, is you know as we identify more and more genes, it's going to give us more ideas of of what is going wrong in these in these patients. Uh, you know, to give you an example, you know the the gene that we identified, NEC1 actually does several different things in in uh in your body uh one of uh its functions is actually involved in the uh um, the maintenance of your what's called your cytoskeleton and what the cytoskeleton is is it's almost like the skeleton in your your body that it gives it rigidity except instead of doing it for your entire body it does it for every single cell in your body 
Now, the, the cytoskeleton is especially important in neurons and, you know, uh, in ALS patients, what happens is the neurons that are involved with motor mo movements uh, die. And uh, by identifying, you know, this gene, NEC1, uh, it actually kind of uh, uh, validated that the cytoskeleton is involved in ALS patients because we had actually previously identified uh, several other genes that have been involved with the cytoskeleton that are actually altered in ALS patients as well. So getting to the idea of therapeutics, you know, it's kind of like... Um, you know, if you have, if your car is broken and then you bring it to the mechanic and the mechanic doesn't know how, you know, how a car works, he doesn't know uh, what the first step is. You know, what we're trying to do through genetics is to find out, you know, what is going wrong. Once we know what's going wrong, then we can figure out how to target, you know, those specific areas. So here I'm giving you one example here, uh, you know, where you know, my lab and a few others are focusing on the cytoskeleton and focusing on therapeutics now that can target that. Uh, but every time we identify a new gene, it brings us a little bit closer to understand what are those different processes that are going wrong and how we can target each one of them. Okay, so let's talk about where, where the connection then comes into the Ice Bucket Challenge. So was, was the money raised by that challenge what, what funded this research? Sure. Uh, so where the Ice Bucket Challenge came in is that um, I, I mentioned how um, Project Mind, this worldwide genetics consortium, was instrumental to this research. And, uh, you know, my laboratory is in, as you mentioned, in, in uh, uh, Massachusetts at the uh, UMass Medical School. And uh, we, we primarily focus on, on ALS genetics. And, uh, you know, we want to be part of this larger consortium that is, you know, taking a... a um, extreme, extreme endeavor to, you know, sequence the quantity of ALS patients that they want to. And, you know, we want to be able to chip in. We want to be part of that group. And so we actually went to the ALS Association here in the United States, and uh, they're the main uh, group that, uh, you know, were the recipients of a lot of the donations that came from the Ice Bucket Challenge. And we went to them in, uh, I think it was spring of 2014, and said, listen, uh, here's a great project. We would love to be part of it. Um, you know, this could make some great advancements in the genetics of ALS. And, and they were 100% behind it. They said, it's uh, this is great, wonderful, awesome. We would uh, love to uh, be able to fund you, but frankly, we don't have the money. Uh, we can't do it. And uh, lucky, you know, lucky for us, a few months later, the Ice Bucket Challenge kicked in, and uh, the ALS Association came back to us and said, "Listen, um, uh, we we want to get you into this project. You know, we want to be able to." Uh, uh, give you the money to start sequencing more ALS patients and be part of this worldwide effort. And as a result of that, you know, that's what led us to, you know, uh, identify this gene NEC1. And so, you know, without the Ice Bucket Challenge, uh, our research definitely wouldn't have gone as, uh, you know, successfully as it did. 
we wouldn't have been able to be part of Project Mine. And, you know, and I should also point out that, you know, I'm speaking in terms of my laboratory, the work we do in, in the U.S., but this bucket challenge helped. I, I can tell you that, you know, many of the countries that were in Project Mine benefited tremendously from the Ice Bucket Challenge. And so it helped each one of those countries as well. And they all made advancements to learning more, you know, sequencing more patients that have ALS, uh, again, contributing to this finding. Wow. Well, and, and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, doing research costs money, right? And uh, it's very expensive. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It is. And uh, I think we like to think or assume that, that money just exists. And if research needs to be done, it'll get done. But that's not always the case. Uh, I'm sorry, you repeat that question, Rob? Just that, that maybe that assumption we have in the public that if, you know, scientists uh, want to engage in some research, an important question they, they want to answer to learn more about a disease that they can just go ahead and do so as though there's they're somehow an unlimited <laughs> pot of money that exists. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, to chuckle, <laughs> but, but you know, uh, it, research is, is uh, amazingly expensive. And, you know, uh, you know it, it's just not sitting at a, a bench quite often with, uh, you know, a couple test tubes and, and pipettes. Uh, and I can especially tell you this for genomics. You know, it is it is not inexpensive by any stretch of the imagination to maybe even put this into a little bit of a context. Um, you know, uh, the efforts of Project Mind, uh, as I said, are to whole genome sequence 22,500 people. Uh, if you think back to the Human Genome Project, uh, it's been estimated that to, to sequence a single individual costs somewhere between $500 million and $3 billion. Now, uh, the cost of sequencing has uh, dropped uh, dramatically during that time period. To, we're at the point where you know, we can sequence a single individual uh, for somewhere around $2,000, you know, including for you know, all the computational storage and other things you have to do. So for a study where you want to sequence 22,500 people, that's a $45 million project. Uh, that money doesn't exist. That, that's not something, uh, you know, I can just call up and say, you know, can I borrow $45 million? My laboratory doesn't have it. Uh, I can't think of any individual mm -hmm. laboratory that has it. And as a result, you, you know, this is where uh, kind of big collaborations can, can come into play you know, and uh, a bit of a divide and conquer type of approach. I may not be able to raise one million, or excuse me, 45 million, but I can raise uh, one million through the Ice Bucket Challenge. I might be able to raise some more directly from the U.S. government. Uh, we've done charity events, you know, that have brought in another half million, and, and uh, most recently the ALS Association has even given us another half million dollars, which, were, again, was uh, the result of the Ice Bucket Challenge to kind of push this even further. So um, research is not, not, not cheap by any stretch. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it's a fascinating story on multiple levels. Uh, Dr. Landers, uh, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much, Rob, and uh, have a good day. You too. Dr. John Landers, a professor of neurology, University of Massachusetts Medical School. Uh, if you're into reading medical and scientific journals, uh, you can find this study in the uh, latest edition of Nature Genetics. Uh, but no, it's certainly an important discovery. And as he says, it, it wouldn't have happened had it not been for the Ice Bucket Challenge. 
So as I say, you know, maybe my cynicism about it was misplaced. I still don't quite understand the, the exact mechanism by which it was raising money. But it clearly did raise a lot of money. And the money raised through that campaign is what funded this, this study. And had the num- money not been there, the study wouldn't have been done. Maybe somebody else would have found it, found this gene in, in a different study at another time or place. But that's how it, it happened here. So there you go. They say the ice bucket challenge made a difference. Uh, 974-8255 is our telephone number. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. Uh, we can open up the phones for the remainder of this hour. I've got a few other stories uh, to talk about. Uh, certainly a lot of text still coming in on the uh, Forcillo sentence, Constable Forcillo sentenced to six years in jail in Toronto today, and that brought a conversation uh, about how we punish police wrongdoing. So we can uh, revisit that, as I say, some other issues to get to. We can talk more about the uh, ice bucket challenge as well. Uh, my name is Rob Breckenridge. It's Afternoons on News Talk 770. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.